0: I appreciate the fact that uh, Pastor Scott has allowed me to share with you this morning. I approach this with some fear and trepidation, uh, which was enhanced with several weeks ago. I noticed in one of our podcasts, uh, Pastor Brad had uh, put on there one of my sermons from years ago, and he referred to it as a throwback sermon. I've been doing a little fishing here recently, and what I've come to understand is that when a fish doesn't meet minimum standards, (laughs) (laughs) seriously, it's a great privilege, it's a great responsibility. Uh, One just housekeeping uh, note before we look at our text this morning. You've probably already noticed, both from the bulletin and from the fact that the screen behind me is blank, that there's no PowerPoint. Uh, That's intentional. Uh, It's intentional, number one, because I'm not very good at PowerPoint. (laughs) So it's self-serving in that respect. But I wanna share with you something that I have found over a period of years now to be extremely beneficial. And that is simply to take notes in the margin of my Bible. I have found that when I take notes, whether it's using the outline that uh, we have every week or whatever, oftentimes I misplace those outlines, or in some cases, to be perfectly honest, uh, I throw them away, uh, and that has nothing to say about the content, it just happens. But what I have also found is that because they are separate from my Bible, When I come to a passage that I have previously heard and there was something that I noted that was important and significant, the notes aren't there. So I would just encourage you, perhaps today, because there is no PowerPoint, to give it a try. I have found it to be extremely beneficial. Many years ago, uh, here at Delaware Bible Church, we were uh, scheduled and going to participate in a week of special meetings. Prior to those meetings, the speaker uh, and I were were conversing, and uh, I, I said to the speaker, I said, so as you have anticipated this week of meetings, what is it that you're praying for? There was a poignant pause in his response, a pause that alerted me to the fact that what he was about to share was not just some trite, flippant answer, but something that was deep in his heart. And he said to me, I am praying for that which can only be explained in our lives by that which is supernatural. I think, I trust that we all share that desire in our lives. I find it convicting by the scarcity of it in my own. What you may be asking in our text this morning is Acts chapter 8, and if you've not already turned there, I would encourage you to do so. You may be asking, so what does that have to do with the text? What we find in Acts chapter 8 and elsewhere in the scriptures, which we're going to look at just briefly also, is this truth. There is a direct tie between the unexplainable, extraordinary, supernatural difference in our lives and the effectiveness of our witness and our influence. Let me repeat that. There is a direct tie between the unexplainable, extraordinary, supernatural difference in our lives and the effectiveness of our witness and our influence. Now, in Acts chapter 8, we are introduced to two individuals Philip and Simon. We're only going to look at Philip this morning, and that's due to some time constraints and because there's more in Philip's life than even one message could accommodate. But before we do that, I want to verify this truth, that our lives have a direct bearing on our effectiveness and our influence. Turn back, we find this actually earlier in the book of Acts. Turn with me back to Acts chapter 2. As we come to the end of that second chapter, we are introduced to this phenomenal sharing amongst the believers. Uh, Verse 45, they were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And then it goes on in verse 47, they were praising God... And then we have this little phrase, and having favor with, and notice the word all, the people. This was widespread, this favor, the way that the people, the outsiders, the non-believers, were looking at these believers. And I ask myself, why would God include that little phrase? He's just told us about what they're doing, Then he seems to parenthetically add, and they were finding favor with all the people. And as I thought about that, I think the reason is this. There's a cause and effect relationship that we are intended to capture. And the truth of that is found in the very next phrase. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. What is the message that those verses give us? Because of how the believers were living, it resulted in people looking with favor upon them, and we can assume, although it's not stated here, uh, that they were sharing the gospel, otherwise people wouldn't have been getting saved. But as a result of what they saw in the believer's life, the impact, the effectiveness of their message resulted in, on a regular basis, day after day, people were getting saved. We see that same truth in Acts chapter 5. There we have the account of Ananias and Sapphira and their demise... And as a result of that, uh, we we read in the 13th verse of that 5th chapter, none of the rest dared join with them. Well, I can understand that, and I think probably all of us can. Can we not? But notice what it says after that. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. How they lived caused non-believers to look at them and say, wow. The result of that, verse 14, and more than ever, which is an interesting phrase, how many people were saved with Peter's Pentecost sermon? Three thousand. And here the scriptures tell us that even more than previously or more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. And again, the truth is verified. Because of the way that the believers were living, The people held them in high esteem. And the result of that was that people were getting saved. They had gained a hearing because of the way that they lived. With that background, let's look at Philip. What we see in both Philip and Simon is this same truth, that they had gained a hearing and influence with the people. Because we're not going to look at any length at Simon, let me just point that out here in chapter 8 and verse 10. Now again, Simon, for those who may not know, was performing magic. Uh, There's some indication that it dealt with the occult and, and, and all of that. And he was doing this uh, so that people would think he was great. But look at verse 10. Again, note the word all. Because that's significant. It simply says that this wasn't just sporadic. There was a great influence. They all paid attention to him. Now, we might dismiss that with saying, well, yeah, I would pay attention. I would, you know, if there was a great show in town, I'd love to go take it in. But in Philip's case, God tells us what he intended for that to mean when it says that they paid attention to him because the same phrase is used of Philip. Jump back to verse six. The crowd with one accord paid attention. That they paid attention to what was being said by Philip. And so both with Simon and with Philip, because of what they were doing, their actions created this platform by which people, all of the people, and I'm not saying that there were no exceptions, but it certainly implies that it was widespread that it was the majority of people were intent on listening to what they had to say. You see, there's a direct tie between the unexplainable, extraordinary difference in our lives and the effectiveness of our witness and our influence. Now what was so extraordinary about Philip? Well, earlier in this 8th chapter, we read that there arose on that day a great persecution. Pastor Scott last week shared with us that the word great is the word mega. It was huge. It was widespread. It was was significant. How great was this persecution? Well, in verse 3, we read that that Saul was ravaging the church. When was the last time you used the word ravaging? My guess is you can't remember. Why? Because it's an intense word, is it not? It's an intense word that conveys that which is not pleasant. And this was going on Saul was ravaging the church, and he was entering house after house. It was widespread. And as a result of this intense persecution, Philip and many others were exiles. They were scattered. That concept is not foreign to us, but it's foreign in the sense that none of us have ever experienced it. And so it's much easier to think about it intellectually than it is to experience it. But it's incredibly hard. In light of all of that, verse 4 becomes extraordinary. Because of the difference. Now, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. In that sentence, please underline or take note of the fact of the word those because it's very easy for us to conclude, oh, that was just Philip. He was was the exception. No, the word those would alert us to the fact that the majority or many or most of those who were experiencing this incredibly intense persecution, hard, extremely hard times in their life that were causing them to have to flee and throw away all that they had The majority of those as they were experiencing that were preaching the gospel. Do you think that the people would have wondered about the difference? I'm sure I'm convinced that they did. By the way, speaking of that word, those, again, this passage in in this 8th chapter is not unique. Uh, Quickly, turn back to Acts chapter 4. Peter and John have just been brought before the council and all of that. Look at verse 29. In light of that, when they got together with other believers, what did their conversation consist of? What were they most concerned about? Well, in verse 29, we read their prayer. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants, what? To continue to speak your word with all boldness. We see the same thing in chapter 5. Here again, they've been called before the council. And in verse 40 of this fifth chapter, we read And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them. That, that was not just a little tap on the bottom. Those men walked out of there with open wounds. They beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then they let them go. Then, immediately following the beating and being warned by those who had the authority to take their lives, immediately following them, then they left the presence of the council Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. extraordinary difference. A difference that was sufficient that when people observed it in these believers' lives, the vast majority of believers, those, not just Philip, but what was characteristic of these believers is that even when they were beaten, even when they were threatened with death, rather than lament and get all tied up in themselves. They're going out rejoicing that they're considered worthy and they continue to do the very thing that puts them in danger. As I thought about that, I asked myself, would that be what we expect today if in this last week the conditions in our country had so deteriorated that for no reason other than our faith we were being thrown in prison and not only thrown in prison but with the very real possibility that it was going to result in our death because it had just happened to Stephen. What would our focus be today as we gather together as a church? And I can can conclude that what I would expect is we would be praying for the release We would be praying for the well-being of those who are in prison and very little, if any, concern for evangelism. The difference that these Samaritans saw in Philip caused them with one accord to pay attention to what he was saying. Another unexplainable, extraordinary, supernatural difference that we see in Philip is the people to whom he ministered. Now most of us here are somewhat familiar, very familiar with the animosity that existed between the Jews and the Samaritans. There was an incredible prejudice, an incredible hatred to the place where Jews wouldn't even walk through the country. And that's why in John chapter 4 with the account of the Samaritan woman at the well, the disciples were... But there's another passage of Scripture that I think is even more revealing and it's more convicting to me as I think about this difference that my life is to make. And that's found in Luke chapter 9 and verse 54. On that occasion, Jesus and his disciples were again passing through the land of Samaria. Jesus sent his disciples out to talk to the Samaritans to see if they could get some food and some lodging and some hospitality the Samaritans who hated the Jews just as much as the Jews hated them said, there's no way. You're Jews. Remember John's response? Jesus, do you want us to call down fire on these despicable Samaritans? And Jesus rebuked them. I don't recall my ever saying, I don't even recall hearing from others anyone actually saying the words, God? Should we call down fire on them? But as I reflected upon that, though I don't say the words, What's revealed in my heart is the same attitude. There are so many issues that are relevant in our society today. And how do we as believers view those individuals who theologically we label as liberals? those individuals who have causes for which we disagree, who have agendas with which we disagree, and perhaps even are wrong, and in most cases I would admit that they are wrong. The scriptures say that out of the heart the mouth speaks, and what I hear coming out of my mouth tells me that in respect to those type of people I have the same exact attitude as the Pharisees you despicable people you low lowlifes I might illustrate this is from my own life, and maybe that's the safest place to do it. In the neighborhood in which Marilyn and I live, we know of at least two lesbian couples. And when those lesbian couples had the audacity to desecrate our neighborhood by putting up their gay pride flags, the words of my mouth indicated the condition The difference. I wonder when John said to Jesus on that occasion, the Samaritans, Lord, should we call down fire? I just wonder if there were any Samaritans. Who overheard that conversation? And if they did, how did that mar any possible influence that John might have on their lives and in their receptiveness to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Here's Philip in a city of Samaria. And the contrast between what he is now doing, his compassion for these people, his attempts to meet practical needs that they had, his genuine care for them. I wonder, as those Samaritans sat around their table eating a meal or gathered in the public square, if there were not conversations that went something like this. What do you think of this Jew, Philip? How do you explain his attitude, his ministry, his concern when all we have heard and seen from all these other Jews is so unlikely? And the scriptures tell us that because of how he lived, they paid attention to what he said. You see, my friends, there is a direct tie between the unexplainable, extraordinary, supernatural difference in our lives and the effectiveness of our witness and our influence. I have heard many say, and I think it's a true statement, but it's something that we have to ask ourselves. We must ask ourselves. The statement is made that it seems that today The evangelical, the Bible teaching, the Bible believing church, Bible believing Christians have so little influence that we're impacting our society. I hear statements and examples where as believers, we say, and to some degree have become hardened to, the truth that the difference in lives between a believer and a non-believer is non-existent. And folks, it's not an easy question But God is showing me and the scriptures confirm it's a question that has to be asked. And the question is simply this. Is the lack of influence experienced by Christians today because of the times in which we live or is it at least in part because the difference in our lives is no longer extraordinary enough to gain us a hearing? It's not an easy question to ask or to ponder. But we are left with a biblical record of the fact that fallen individuals just like us lived and the norm within their circles was so different from ours today. And the result was that they had an extraordinary influence and effectiveness in sharing Jesus Christ. I want to make an application but before I do that I just want to quickly point out that this effectiveness is not limited to our witness, the sharing of the gospel. It's also totally relevant to the effectiveness of our discipleship. One of the things that uh, that God by his grace has made me aware of in my own life. As most of you know, my my children are all grown. It doesn't mean that discipleship doesn't continue. But God has blessed Marilyn and I with four grandchildren. And I ask myself, Is there enough difference in the priorities, in the words that I say, in the attitudes that I express in my life that my adult children and my grandchildren look at me and say, Grandpa, What's the difference? Why is your life, your attitudes toward others, the words that you say in respect to those who you disagree with, to those that you would consider your enemies. Why are they so different? Jesus, in the book of Matthew chapter 11, and verse 19, is referred to as a friend of sinners. Those who disagreed with who he was, even the message that he gave, were attracted to him because they cared, he cared, and they saw a difference. So what are the applications? First I want to, the first application I would make is one that is so very possible, and and it's simply, it's a negative. Here's what I'm asking, please don't quench the spirit by dismissing this as impossible or just mere idealism. It's so easy for us to do that, isn't it? Oh, that was another time, that was another person. No, this was the common response of believers. Fallen individuals. If it could be that characteristic in the past, it's possible for us. Please don't walk out of here simply saying, maybe, well that was a good sermon. Or, Pastor Henson, it was good to hear from you again. We enjoyed that. God's got a far greater purpose in our being here this morning, and it's not to listen to a former pastor. It's to listen to the truth of his word. And the truth is that how we live has a critical impact on our effectiveness and gaining a hearing in our families and in the world. Second thing that I would encourage by way of application is prayer. That's so familiar, it almost sounds lame. But I just wanna tell you what God's doing in my life. I am finding myself going before the Lord and saying, God, change my heart. And I wanna tell you that that's not something that happens with one prayer. I find that those old habits, that old nature, is so familiar that without even thinking, it manifests itself again and again and again. And I keep coming back, oh God, give me the heart that you have for people, to the place that it affects how I live, so that I might have a hearing and an influence in their lives, both to non-believers and to members of my own family. I have to say parenthetically that that kind of praying has made prayer a lot more meaningful to me than just saying the words. And I would encourage us in the days to come be tenacious in prayer. And finally just by way of application identify one specific way that God would have you to change. Maybe it's in what you say. Maybe it's in what you do. Maybe it's what you talk about with others. But identify a specific area and then take that to the Lord and say, all right, God, what would look different? The purpose being, not like Simon, that I might look good, but that it might increase my effectiveness in gaining a hearing and an influence in a positive way in others' lives. A critical truth The the churches in the book of Revelation, because our heart is deceitful, looked at themselves and they said, we have need of nothing. Because our hearts are deceitful, brothers and sisters, it's easy for us to miss and to be blinded the own our own realities and the potential and the possibility that God gives to us. Pastor Scott's going to come and lead us in communion. Part of that communion is to a time of examination. I would encourage us during that time to take what has just been shared and begin that process of God. Change my heart. It may include a time of confession. Lord, I I see the blindness of my own life. More than anything else, Father, I want my life to be so different. Show me a specific application. And God, with your help, I commit to change. Pastor Scott.